The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. So what does the Bible say about the days we're living in? Should we expect great apostasy, great revival, or both? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Are, Are we living in the last days today? Are we living in the last generation of the last days? If so, should we expect things to get worse and worse in the world, even in the church? Are these the days of great deception and apostasy that Jesus warned about? Is it ludicrous to try to set times and dates like this? Should we just always believe for the best? Is it possible we could have great revival and awakening even here in America? What does the Bible say? Hey friends, welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Brown, your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity here to infuse you with faith, truth, courage, so you may stand strong for the Lord. Here's the number to call. You can weigh in on your views. Does the Bible say things will only get worse? Are we in the final generation? Is it possible God might move all around the world, but not in America? Should we be praying for revival at all? 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. I've got a lot of really interesting biblical material to look at, some interesting things happening in the world around us, so a lot of ground to cover. We've talked about this in the past, but in light of my new book, Revival or We Die, A Great Awakening is Our Only Hope, coming out last week, and then seeing some responses to it, I'm, I'm thrilled with what we're hearing from readers who are getting stirred and, and fires burning in their hearts as they're reading the book. I trust as you get your copies that God will use it to spark something in you. If that's the case, tell a friend. Get on social media, post a picture of the book, encourage your friend to get it. I write these books to get them to the maximum amount of people to read them, be impacted by them. If you're blessed, be sure to post a review on Amazon. We generally hear from those that have issues or don't like me and things like that. It's always great to have words from those that are blessed by the content and are helped. So by all means, make sure you do that. Spread the word as well. But I want to dig into this afresh because my new book comes out. We talk about it some last week. And some very sincere people, people who love me, love our ministry, support what we do, said, Dr. Brown, you're wrong. You're wrong. We can only expect apostasy. Jesus warned about it. Nowhere in the world does it speak of a great end-time revival. From here on, it's only going to get worse. Now, that raises a lot of questions for me, sincere biblical questions, sincere questions about the time in which we live. So in, in my book, Revival Answer Book, which in its first edition was written in the midst of the Brownsville Revival, so a great historic outpouring called by church historian Vincent Sinan, the greatest Uh, the longest-lasting local church revival in American history. I had the privilege of being right in the thick of it for four years and seeing the amazing things that God did to his glory and for his honor. But I I posted this quote because I was hearing this 20-plus years ago, and, and it says this. This is from Discernment Ministries. Far from being an expert on revivals, 
It nevertheless seems rather strange to me that modern-day revivalists proclaim that, quote, God is going to be bringing a great revival in these last days characterized by a new and powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Yet the Bible says that God's plan for the last days is the great apostasy, characterized by all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, 6 through 10. Is God really bringing revival, or is what we see happening now that which will culminate in the greatest delusion of all time? Speaking of 2 Thessalonians 2.11 and the delusion of the Antichrist. So we hear those questions from sincere Bible believers. I'm not going to bash that mentality. I'm, I'm not going to call that person a hypercritic. I don't even know who it was that wrote it on Discernment Ministries. But in point of fact, I would challenge that absolutely biblically on every level. Even the idea of, of counterfeit miracles, right, doesn't that presuppose true miracles? In the Bible, you have counterfeit miracles opposite true miracles. The reason you have an antichrist is because you have a, a true Christ. So it, it's interesting to think that because the Bible talks about counterfeit miracles that lead people away from God, that for some that means there aren't true miracles leading people to God. Now, if, if we use some of the Jonathan Edwards tests from the First Great Awakening in the 1730s, 1740s in America as to how to evaluate a revival and, and, and to see if it's really from God, and then I, I kind of boil down, reformatted them to make it even a little simpler. But the first question is, is the Jesus of the Bible being exalted? If something claims to be a move of God, that's the first question, is the Jesus of the Bible being exalted? in the preaching, in the worship, and then in the lives of the people touched. Secondly, is the word of God being exalted as final authority? Are, are people loving the word and being drawn to the word and hungering and thirsting for the word as God's absolute authority? And then third, is there true repentance from sin? Are people turning from sin to God in holiness? And then fourth, is there a burden for the lost? Are, are people now gripped with a heart and burden to reach a lost and dying world? Well, I saw that day and night the Browns were revival. And now I can say more than 25 years after the beginning of the Browns were revival, that that fruit remains. And people dramatically touched. I just did an interview today earlier with a man who got saved in Brownsville. And, and what was our whole talk about? The Word of God, the importance of the Word of God, the authority of Scripture, the role it plays in our lives. He was saved. He was transformed, living a godly life, went from sin to holiness, from, from not believing to now following Jesus with heart and soul, and on and on it goes. So I, I, I want to pose a number of questions and raise a number of points. If you agree with me, great, feel free to call in. But if you differ, by all means, give us a call, 866-34-TRUTH. So, First question to ask is this, does the Bible really teach that everything will get worse from here on until Jesus returns? All right, so Matthew 24, 4, Jesus says to his disciples, first te uh, second temple day, so in their day, but you can apply it also to the end of the age, take heed that no one deceives you. Matthew 24, 10 through 12, false prophets, false messiahs will come, will deceive many, even the elect if it were possible. And because of iniquity abounding, the love of many will wax cold. Second Thessalonians 2, 3, which we just looked at, that before the Lord returns, the rebellion will take place first. Second Timothy 3, 1, in the last days, perilous times will come. Does this indicate 
that we, being the final generation, will only see darkness, apostasy, that things will get worse and worse. Is that what we should deduce from those verses? Well, absolutely not. Absolutely categorically not, as I'll explain in a moment. But I asked the question, who said we're the last generation? I mean, I heard that over 50 years ago when I, when I was first coming to faith and friends were sharing what they were hearing in prophecy books and things like that. Or do you, can you show me scripturally? Can you demonstrate to me scripturally that we are the last generation? And if so, does that mean babies just born today, that they represent that last generation? So maybe 80, 90 years ahead? Can you demonstrate that scripturally? Here, here, let, let, me, let, me, um, let me raise this. Point number two. Even if the end of the world will be characterized by apostasy, who says that we are the last generation? Let me read that again. Even if the end of the world will be characterized by apostasy, who says that we are the last generation? I mean, people say we can't pray for revival because we know it's only going to get darker. Darker from what point on? It hasn't only gotten darker through church history. Church went from a tiny remnant in the first century to a a substantial portion of, of, of the world's population today. And when you go back in church history, you find lots of people thinking it's over. This is it. This is the end. Here, let let me give you a couple of quotes. How about this one? Uh, the prophetess Maximilia who died in 179, quote, after me, there is no prophecy, but only the end of the world. She died in 179. Looks like she was off by a few centuries, no? How about this? This is a letter from Gregory the Great to John of Constantinople in the late 6th century. Of a truth, it was proclaimed of old to the Apostle John, little children, it is the last hour, First John 2.18, according as the truth foretold. And now, pestilence and sword rage through the world. Nations rise against nations. The globe of the earth is shaken. The gaping earth with its inhabitants is dissolved. For all that was foretold is come to pass. In other words, this is obviously the last hour. John wrote about it, but we're really living it. That was... 1,500 years ago and change. <clears throat> Are you seeing the pattern here? Okay, how about this? This is from Clarence Larkin's famous book, Dispensational Truth, that came out in 1918. All right? So this is shortly into the modern Pentecostal movement. He said, another of the signs of the times is the revival of what is called the gift of tongues. In, in which the recipient claims that he is taken possession of by the Spirit of God and empowered to speak in an unknown or foreign tongue. But the conduct of those thus possessed, in which they fall to the ground and writhe in contortions, causing disarrangement of the clothing and disgraceful scenes, is more a characteristic of demon possession than a work of the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit does not lend himself to such violent impersonations. Of course, that's a caricature. And that would be an extreme thing with some people overreacting to what the Holy Spirit was doing or just getting in the flesh or giving themselves over to demons. And he says this, from what has been said, we see that we are living in perilous times, quoting 2 Timothy 3.1, and that all about us are seducing spirits, 1 Timothy 4.1, and they will become more active as the dispensation draws to its close and that we must exert the greatest care lest we be led astray. Well, today, 
The modern Pentecostal charismatic movement represents the single largest body of believers outside of, of, of professing Catholic Church, writes God knows the true believers among all of these. But in terms of an identifiable group that professes to be Christian after, after Roman Catholics, which is what, a little over a billion, you're talking about 600 million or more that profess to be charismatic Pentecostal, and, and you're talking about you know, some of the saintliest people you've known over the generations that believed in the gifts and power of the Spirit for today, like A.W. Tozer or Corey Ten Boom. Yeah, she was a tongue speaker. <clears throat> and yet he thought this, this is proof. Friends, this over 100 years ago. This is proof that we're getting closer to the end of the age, and this is the final apostasy. Important fact, what he saw happening there in some of these extremes that he reported about, these bizarre things, there was something true happening which represented the greatest harvest of souls in the shortest period of time in church history. Church history. And he thought it was the exact opposite. So to learn here, friends. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today as we talk about revival, apostasy. What should we pray for? What should we expect? 866-348-7884. And one question for everyone I ask in all sincerity is not to mock or criticize someone else's position at all. It's simply to ask an honest question. Does the Bible ever tell us, especially in the New Testament as God's people, just throw in the towel? Just resign yourself to the fact that things will only get worse. I'm just, I'm asking that question in terms of our attitude, in terms of our mindset. Again, my new book, if you don't have it, Revival or We Die. I saw someone post a response to the title saying, no, no, the life of Christ is in us. We, we don't, die. no, I'm not talking about us as individual believers. I'm talking about as a nation, if we don't see revival come to the Church of America, it could be all over for America. So the book's written with urgency, but with great hope, and it'll stir you personally to draw in more deeply. All right, before I get back into some of my notes and look at more scripture, I want to intersperse some calls along the way. So we we start with Jesse in Twin City, Minnesota. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Thanks for having me on, Dr. Brown. Sure thing. So I just have a couple comments, and uh I'll let you weigh in on on what I have to say, but I want to first say that revival can come at any time God wants, but it's based on the hearts of godly people. And in this society, there's a great deal of heretical doctrine going around, but nonetheless, we are called to not judge people too harshly. In Matthew 7, 1 and 2, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, which, bring, which, which brings me to this. We are all believers and unbelievers, a part of a cancel culture. Even as Christians, we want to cancel anyone who doesn't see things exactly the same way as us. So for revival, I believe we need to work on meeting people where they're at. Without this, we become too judgmental towards people. Mm. Paul said he was all things to all people for the sake of the immature who have not learned true holiness. So that is how we ignite revival in the U.S., to meet people where they are at and to share the hope that is within us and become evangelists. 
Yeah, hey, Jesse, I, I appreciate that. And I, I agree with good parts of what you said and would say a couple things a little differently. So, amen, God is the one who sends revival. But yes, he does respond to the cries of his people, to the heart of his people. Absolutely. And he's the one that stirs our hearts to pray and seek him. Also, uh, the fact that there are a lot of heretical doctrines out there, and something that deeply concerns me, many sincere believers who deny the gifts and power of the Spirit for today, that's a grievous error, and, and don't recognize what the Spirit is doing. So it's wrong to attribute things to the Holy Spirit that are of, of human origin or of the devil. That's terribly wrong. That's ugly. And it's wrong to attribute things that the Holy Spirit is doing to human beings or the devil. That's also very ugly. Both are, are serious errors to be resisted. But the existence of all the false doctrines and heretical doctrines, yes, a further reminder that the church needs to be revived because with that reviving is reforming. Uh, as to judging harshly, you know, what Matthew 7 is speaking of verses 1 through 5, it, it, it's speaking in particular of being judgmental in a superficial way, in an inaccurate way, in a condemning way. But for sure, we are to examine everything based on Scripture, right? Test all things, judge all things in that regard. That's one. Two, Matthew, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, just a little bit further on, to, to judge the fruit of, of, of those who claim to be prophets and are not. So there are things we are to judge. It's the attitude with which we do it. And, and that's the big amen that I want to bring to what you're saying the canceling out of whole parts of the body. You know, look, those who follow me know I've written over 40 books. I've written over 2,000 articles. I've got, I don't know, four or 5,000 radio broadcasts we've got. I don't know what the number is. Countless thousands of classes that I've taught, lectures given, sermons preached. And yet, rather than deal with all of that, someone will try to attack me and write me off because I won't cancel someone else out. They'll say, what about so-and-so? I said, well, I disagree on this. I disagree on this. I think they're wrong on this. I think they're wrong on this. Well, then will you say that they're a charlatan? I don't know if they're a charlatan. Will you say that they're a false teacher, therefore hell-bound? It's like, I, no, as far as I know, they're just in error. So, and, and so it's this, well, then you get canceled out. It's like, what are we doing? I might as well cancel all those people out because they're denying other truths of Scripture. So if we don't have a fresh baptism of love in our own hearts, and that is something that comes out of revival, it's often said that when the tide rises and the waters rise, you don't see the fences anymore. So we need to rise higher in that love. And, and even if you think someone's sincerely wrong, let there be tears for that person. Let there be a broken heart for that person. Often it's so easy for us to sit smugly and judge and condemn others without having that burning heart for their well-being, and we give ourselves to prayer and fasting for them. Hey, Jesse, thank you for the call. Okay, uh, check this out. I, I, I'd asked this question in the last segment. Even if the end of the world will be characterized by apostasy, who says that we are the last generation? Uh, let me take you to an article that I posted a couple of weeks ago saying I refused to accept that the current state of the church is, is the way things are going to be. As we scroll down in that article, I'm talking about the growth of the church worldwide. And I said this, the truth is that all over the world, and I've personally had the privilege of traveling outside the United States a couple hundred times, overseas, what, over 150 times, 
All around the world, God's spirit is on the move, and the church is growing numerically like never before. Miracles of healing and deliverance are also increasingly common, especially when the gospel message is heard for the first time. Perhaps God will deepen our unity too. Perhaps he'll increase our love for one another. Perhaps he'll conform us even more to the character of his son. Is God unable to do this? In other words, in other words, why can't it be that the prayer Jesus prayed for our unity will come to pass? And that what Paul spoke about regarding our unity in Ephesians 4 will come to pass. In 1990, my book, How Saved Ari, I wrote, there were fewer than 10 million Christians in Africa in 1900, but the projection for 2000 is 320 million. It turns out the projection was way too conservative. There are roughly now today, in 2021, 685 million professing Christians in Africa. Oh, many are babes and Many need teaching and discipling, but it's extraordinary to see what's happening. Uh, the majority of the church worldwide right now is not white. It's how rapidly God's moving it in Africa and Asia, other parts of the world, Latin America. So, so look at this. From 10 million Christians in 1900, professing Christians, to now almost 700 million. Does this speak of apostasy or does this speak of God moving? Oh, oh yeah, in the midst of it. There's confusion. In the midst of it, some are falling away. But does this speak of, of the Great Commission being fulfilled or of things getting worse and worse? Okay, how about this? I wrote in 1990 that in Latin America, evangelical Christianity grew from a mere 50,000 in 1900 to a projected 137 million in 2000. Even in the extremist Hindu kingdom of Nepal, shrouded by the Himalayan mountains, the Lord has found for himself a people— In 1960, there were only 25 baptized believers. By 1989, there were over 50,000 in spite of intense government opposition. And this is only the beginning. Today, friends, there are over 661 million professing evangelicals in Latin America, shattering the predictions of, of growth. So again, I wrote in 1990, they were projecting 137 million in 2000. Now these same missiologists and sociologists are saying it's, It's over 660 million in Latin America, professing evangelicals alone. As for Nepal, they're close to 1 million Christians, according to Operation World, which tends to be very accurate and and even conservative in its its statements. So here we're we're saying 1989, 50,000, now close to a million. Shouldn't we be talking about what God is doing around the world, friends? Let's look at this chart. Okay, Uh, just doing some research last night, looking for charts and graphs that would lay things out. This is Christian growth versus population growth from the year 1900 to the year 2000. Now, if you look at this chart, which I'll explain for everyone listening, on top it has Europe, and then it breaks it down, Eastern Europe, uh, Northern Europe, Southern Europe, Western Europe, and then Northern America. Those are the first ones, and in each of those, the population is growing much more than Christianity is growing. So in other words, the percentage of Christians in each is getting smaller and smaller, uh, perhaps most notably in Western Europe. But when you look at Africa, or when you look at Asia, or when you look at Latin America, uh, it's, it's actually, in most all of these cases, the opposite. So you look at the population growth, in Eastern Africa, 
And you see that the growth of Christianity is much more rapid than the growth of the population. Uh, in, in middle Africa, it's, it's more extreme. It's like two or three to one. Uh, in, even in northern Africa, uh, where, where you've got mainly is, Islamic strongholds and countries like that, you, you've got the gospel growing with the population and outpacing it uh, in South Africa, uh, outpacing it better than two to one in Western Africa. And, and you've got similar growth in different parts of Asia. So, friends, forget about what's happening in America. I don't mean forget about, meaning not, don't think about it, but don't make that your major evaluation. Don't make what's happening in, in North America or in Europe the main evaluation of what God's doing around the world. Numbers are bursting. So many converts needing to be discipled. So much teaching needed because so many are getting saved in larger numbers than in church history. What does that tell you? Does that look like great apostasy or great outpouring? We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Is it possible to have great outpouring and great falling away at the same time? Is it possible that you can have light and darkness side by side? Hey friends, Michael Brown, welcome to the Line of Fire. These are not just theoretical issues. These are issues that pertain to how we think, how we pray, how we live, what we expect, what our attitude should be in the midst of the society around us. If you're convinced that this is the last generation, I'd love to hear how you know that for sure. I live as if it is, because as one of my colleagues observed years ago, it's our last generation. We only get one shot. I fervently want to see Jesus come back in my lifetime want to see the Great Commission fulfilled, want to see Israel turning to God, want to see those things happen, want to see a, a glorious bride ready for the bridegroom, speaking of the church and, and the Messiah. I burn and yearn to see that. I, I live my life to see that, but I certainly can't say scripturally that's the case. There could be a generation after us. There could be 10. There could be 20. God knows. God knows. I do know that all those that were sure, who were sure in the past that they were the last generation, they weren't. And all those through church history said, this is it, this is the final generation, or, or Jesus is about to return. It didn't happen. That we know for sure. But how do we live? What should our expectation be? You know, right now, where I am in the U.S., in North Carolina, it's, what, 3.34 in the afternoon, so it's, it's light outside. But in other parts of the world, it's dark. So yes, you can have light and darkness in the physical realm side by side. Every day it's happening in the spiritual realm, demonic spirits of darkness trying to turn people away from the light and the light penetrating into darkness to bring people out of darkness into the glorious gospel of Jesus. That's happening every single day, is it not? <clears throat> so yeah, you can have both. You can have great harvest. You can have many falling away. You could have the greatest outpouring and the greatest satanic attack, and they could happen simultaneously. And in fact, as I understand scripture, there will be parallel extremes as we get closer and closer to the end of the age. Jesus, one of his parables, says that the, the, the end of the age is like a harvest. There's a multitude of fish caught. 
some good, some bad. So uh, let me go through a number of points, some questions, some scripture, and then take your calls, 866-34-TRUTH. One, does the Bible really teach that everything will get worse from here on until Jesus returns? People commonly point to verses speaking about great deception and apostasy. But in most of these cases, these are things that have also happened in the past. When Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, warning Timothy about perilous times coming in the last days, he, he meant the here and now in which Timothy was living and warned him to, to look out for certain people in the here and now. When Jesus spoke about falling away in apostasy, he was also talking to his disciples right then and there. So yes, there will be a great apostasy, a great falling away before the Antichrist is revealed, according to, to Paul in, in 2 Thessalonians 2. And, and this will be part of the apostasy with the Antichrist being revealed and many being deceived. But in the midst of this, Paul also, as we'll see in a moment, is expecting great outpouring and great harvest. In fact, Revelation 7 speaks of a multitude that no one could number getting saved out of what? Great tribulation. Two, uh, even if the end of the world will be characterized by apostasy, who says that we are the last generation? Again, I heard dates said 50 years ago that it was all over and Jesus was coming any minute. That was only off by 50 years so far. 50 years is a long time, no? Okay, number three. If things are only getting worse, why is the church worldwide continuing to grow so rapidly? Why is it the people getting saved by the millions in Africa and getting saved by the millions in India, getting saved by the millions in other parts of Asia and getting saved by the millions in Latin America? Why didn't they get the memo that this is time for apostasy, not salvation? You say, well, first they all have to get saved before they can all fall away. Okay, so, so at least you admit they're all getting saved. No, 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 this is all part of the apostasy. They're false conversions. Hey, I, I've been to many of these places around the world. I know many of the believers. I know many of the leaders working in the midst of it. Yes, because things have grown so dramatically and so quickly, there are problem spots. There are many serious issues. Some of my books we were able to help produce in Nigeria uh, in English for the many uh, English, re- I mean, they read English. The Nigerian English is going to be a little different. Uh, but to get them out very inexpensively in Nigeria. One of the books was Playing with Holy Fire, dealing with massive abuses in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. I'm a part of that movement, dealing with abuses in our own movement. Hyper Grace was another one that we got out. Can you be gained Christian? So I'm, I'm aware of that. Having been to India 27 times and working with some of the key leaders in the nation, I know how the prosperity message has seeped in there and how it's corrupting many lives. So there's a lot of junk out there, but God's moving mightily, powerfully, in ways beyond anything that's happened in church history in terms of numbers of people coming to faith. We just have to help disciple them and train them and ground them and make sure the gospel they're hearing from the get-go is a sound and solid gospel. Okay, number, number four. We have been living in the last days since Jesus died and rose from the dead. I just want to leave this slide up here for those watching. We've been living in the last days since Jesus died and rose from the dead. Acts 2.17, Peter adds the words in the last days to the prophecy of Joel and explains what's happening at Pentecost and says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit. He says, we're living in those last days now. 1 Corinthians 10.11 speaks of, of the church then, the end of the ages has come upon them. Romans 13.11 and 12 
says that it's now high time to wake up from our slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we, we knew. Hebrews 1-2, that God has spoken to us through his Son in the last days. James, Jacob 5-3, to, to, the, to the corrupt rich, you've, you've heaped up treasure in the last days. 1 John 2-18, it is the last hour. So we have been in the last days for 2,000 years, friends. Yeah, are we in the last of the last days? Okay, but the bottom line is we have been in the last days for 2,000 years. The New Testament is explicit. It's quite clear about that. And if we're going to talk about the last days, then we have to talk about them as the New Testament does. Not just something future, but something that we're presently in. All right, number five. For sure, there are end-time verses about rebellion and apostasy. But there are also end-time verses about great outpouring and harvest. Acts 2, 17 to 21, this again is for the last days. Are we living in the last days? Yes. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will, will dream dreams. Young men will have visions. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 11, 25 and 26. Paul speaks of the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. And on the heels of that, and provoked by that, Romans eleven twenty six, all Israel being saved. These, this is the culmination as the Lord returns. Massive harvest of Gentiles and the turning of the Jewish people. 1 John 2, 8, this is the perspective in the New Testament that the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So the light is getting brighter. And again, if you just look that there's like a pinprick in Jesus' day of true believers, then that grows and grows and grows and grows all around the world. What we, what we are witnessing is masses, massive expansion of the gospel. I mean, you have for, for most of world history until a few hundred years ago, that much of the world did not have the Bible in its language at all, or even parts of the Bible. And now all major languages have had the Bible for years. Many dialects have had the Bible for years. And it's, it's many of the very small dialects that don't have it or have parts of it. So even the getting the word of God out is happening in unprecedented measure. All right, a couple more points, then we're going to go back to the phones. Number six, right now, right now, especially in America, Europe, we are in a time of great falling away. But a fresh wind of the Spirit is blowing, and we must seize the moment. Yes, yes, yes. I'm deeply aware of the falling away. I've written, wrote a whole book addressing it. The question, has God failed you? Finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. You better believe I'm aware of this. We get the calls from the people. We get the emails. My daughter's fallen. My husband's left the faith. And this minister fell away. And, and this Christian teacher has now renounced the gospel. Yes, that is happening. It is a period of real falling away. At the same time, all around America, other parts of Europe, along with in Asia and Africa and Latin America, God's moving. And, and I, I know places in America, a good number, where so many people are coming to faith that they're trying to figure out, okay, how, how do we disciple everybody? Or where do we put everybody for our services? God's moving also. And who's to say that this that's happening now is the final falling away, the final rebellion that was spoken of? And if that was the case, won't that also 
be counteracted by a massive outpouring of the Spirit. All right, last point. Doesn't God's Word teach us to pray for revival and outpouring and the advance of the gospel? Where does the Word ever tell us to throw in the towel? Where does the Word ever tell us to throw in the towel? Again, I I don't say this to be critical, because I too came to faith with a theology, end-time view, that things will only get worse before Jesus returns. And I know it's just kind of gut level, the way some of us read the Bible, and think, I don't say this to be critical or judgmental or come across in a superior way, but it, it, it always grieves me when I'll talk about the latest thing happening in society, the latest thing happening in the news, and, and people's first response is, yeah, Jesus said it's only going to get worse before he returns. I'm thinking, well, hang on. Shouldn't our first response be, Lord, how do we respond to this? Lord, what are we to do? Yes, there's always going to be darkness. Isaiah 60, speaking to Israel, but it's an end-time prophecy that when darkness is over the whole earth, great light's going to shine on Israel. And the only way great light's going to shine on Israel is if the church is alive and and, and provoking Israel to jealousy and has set an example of, of who Jesus is. And the only way light's going to shine in Israel is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So rather than have this throw in the towel mentality, which, which I don't find anywhere, anywhere, anywhere in the Bible, especially the New Testament, we should say we're born for this hour. This is why God put us here. Friends, this is, this is why we're on the air, to help strengthen you in your faith and strengthen you in your walk and, and encourage you to stand strong and infuse you with faith and truth and courage so you can be healthy and thrive. Can fulfill what God's given you to do. Run your race and hear from the Lord on that day. Well done. Good and faithful service. All right, back with your calls and some important comments about spiritual and natural health. Don't go anywhere. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. Uh, there is uh, one pastor who prays for the sick a lot, believes in divine healing today. And what he says is, if, if somebody collapses around you, there's some medical emergency, call 911 and then pray. In other words, he's pragmatic about it. Call 911 and then pray. So what I'm saying today is when it comes to pragmatism, you know, we're in a messed up world, but when has the world not been messed up since the fall? I mean, the first son born to Adam and Eve killed the second son. How many families have that where older brother murders the younger brother in cold blood? It's not, that's our founding family. And let me ask you this, are are things today with COVID worse than they were in the days of Spanish flu? No. Are things today in America worse than they were economically than the time of the Great Depression? No. Are are we in the midst of a civil war that's going to cost us today the equivalent of millions of lives physically right now? No. Is the world overall in a healthier place than it was, say, during the ravages of World War II? Yes, healthier place today. In, in other words, there's a lot of junk, a lot of terrible things, a lot of things we've never seen before, been around before, because of internet, they can be spread so miserably. 
But my response is pragmatic. Well, Lord, what can we do? Lord, how do we pray? And, and, and I just want to tell you this, my own personal testimony. So I can't say, thus saith the Lord. I'm simply saying my own heart. I feel stirred by God to pray for revival. I feel moved on by God to believe for another wave of revival. I feel, as I spend more time with him, more burdened to believe him for more impossible things. And even feel the Spirit challenging me, where is your faith, based on what I've seen him do in the past, rather than some resignation, it's only going to get worse, throwing the towel. And may I also say this, that many of us who had the mentality that it's only going to get worse and Jesus is going to rapture us out any moment, I'm not saying all, all right, but many of us, this mentality, there's nothing we can do, society's only getting worse, so we abdicated our responsibilities. So it's, it's kind of like it starts to rain, and you think, well, what's the use? There's going to be a flood, and you leave all your windows open, and your furniture gets ruined. Well, that didn't have to happen. That didn't have to happen. Those are the points I want to make. I encourage you, ask the Lord, study the Scriptures, ask the Lord, okay, where are we right now? And I don't believe you're going to get an exact answer in terms of, okay, we have eight years and three months left. All right. The bigger question is then how do we live? So as many centuries ago, a rabbi was asked this and the Christian leader was asked this same question in different contexts. If you knew that the Messiah was coming tomorrow and you, you had a, a tree, a, a little plant that you were going to plant in your hands, it's going to grow into a tree and you knew the Messiah is coming tomorrow, what would you do? Plant a tree. You live today for today in light of eternity. But you have to go on with your activities. So I do not encourage pessimism, hopelessness, discouragement, because I don't see it in the Word. I don't see it in the character of God. And when I meet with Him and spend more time, yes, I get burdened. Sometimes I get terribly grieved that, that judgment's hanging over us. We must earnestly turn to Him. But I also know that He's merciful, compassionate, and that he has great plans to bless, and that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is of extraordinary efficacy and power, and that many around the world are yet to be touched by the blood, and, and the gospel of the kingdom must be preached as, as a witness to all nations before the end comes. In Revelation 7, people from every tribe, every language, that hasn't happened yet. They must be in the kingdom. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Eddie in New York City. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Uh, yes, Dr. Brown. Thank you for accepting my call. You bet. Um, yeah, I would like to do a, a discuss uh, and, and comment on uh, what you're saying. Um, I, I don't believe there's going to be a revival. I believe the revival is within yourself. There are many scriptures that indicate that in the last days, the church is going to be at a lukewarm uh, state, like... Uh, Revelation 3.15 says. Well, a qu um, question for you. Who, that's for the Church of Laodicea 2,000 years ago. Yeah, I believe it, it applies. You know, I believe the whole Scripture applies for, for back then and today. And uh, we see it in the, in the churches. You see... All right, right, no, but, 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 but hang on. I just want to get clarity so we can have a fruitful okay. discussion. What about okay. all the other verses in Revelation 2 and 3, like the Church in Smyrna, or the church in Philadelphia that have wonderful promises from the Lord. And what about Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says to Laodicea, I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door, I'll come in and sup with you. And doesn't he say to that church, you say I'm rich, increased in wealth, have need of nothing, but don't realize you're rich, you pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Doesn't he say to them, buy from me gold, tried in the fire, 
and ISAB so you can see. In other words, doesn't he offer them blessing if they repent? Yes, and and like I said, I mean, we could see that in the churches these days. We see these massive churches, uh, you know, stadiums filled, but but uh, they, uh, you know, they preach in a prosperity uh, gospel. They preach in other things. They they will not endorse sound doctrine, like the Bible says. You but know, what, what about all those that do? I mean, I work with the persecuted church in different countries, and they're, I mean, they're growing like nothing else in world history, and they're dying for their faith, and, and they yeah, love Jesus. So isn't that a sign of, of revival and outpouring? I agree there will be always a remnant. There's always going to be a remnant. But as far as the church as a whole, the majority of Christians that we see today only want to hear uh, things that, that the Bible says, you know, that will have itching ears. But, but how, know, how do you, with, with all sincerity, and I, listen, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on calling out the junk and the heresies and the, I mean, I've written so many books about that. I'm 100% with you. I share your concerns deeply, my brother. But how do you know what the church is doing all over Africa or all over Asia or all over Latin yeah, America? Yeah. Uh, and and that's where the biggest parts of the church are right now. Yeah, like I said, there's, there's always going to be a remnant, but you know. But how do you know it's the remnant? In other words, how do, how can you speak, sir? And I ask you with all humility, with so much authority well, about what's happening in the lives of hundreds of millions of people around the world that you don't even know at all. And when polls that are taken, surveys that are done, indicate that those people who've embraced the things of the Spirit, they read the Word more than we do in America. They are committed to holiness more than we are in America. They do more evangelizing than we do in America. Wouldn't that suggest that this is a large portion of the body that, that really loves the Lord? Uh, I believe there is a portion, but uh, as far as the majority, I believe what the Bible says, that there will be an apostasy, that, 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 that they will not endorse sound doctrine. And I believe what Revelation 3, um, 15 says that at the last stage, it's going to be a lukewarm church. But it doesn't say it doesn't say at the last stage, sir. See, that's something you read into the Bible. It doesn't say that. There's not a syllable that says anything about the last day there. It doesn't say that. Yeah, um, but it's the last church of of the of of, of the chapter of chapter three is the last. But church it's that a, I believe that. But but sir, that that's that's a misinterpretation that someone taught you, or that you deduced. This on the Bible. See, you're making a doctrine. I, I did the same thing. I used to believe that. But it's not there. Those are messages to seven churches in Asia Minor. And the entire church of Laodicea is offered renewed blessing if they repent. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I'm offering repentance. And there's, there's no chronology there. And, and look, what if you read this 500 years ago? You'd think, Laodicea, that's your age because you're at the end of the age. Look, I heard 50 years ago that, that this, this is the end. And we're in Laodicea, while the church is growing all around the world. So what this is, is this is a projection from the West and some of our dispensational theology. So with all respect, and again, I, I, I love your heart for truth, and I stand with you in, in renouncing a false gospel, a what's-in-it-for-me gospel. I agree there are many who don't endure sound doctrine. But by no means does the Bible say that the church in the end of the age will be primarily characterized by apostasy. And in fact, let me, let me read what Paul wrote, because it seems you take the word seriously. So Paul says this. He's talking about Jesus giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until 
we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful sleeves. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so as to build itself up in love. So I'm absolutely with you, sir, that there are many who claim to be Christians and are not, and that there's a lot of junk masquerading for the gospel around the world. But rejoice, my friend. People are getting saved in larger numbers than ever, and there are amazing disciples all around the world, and even in America, God doing many amazing things. Hey, thank you for the call and the gracious interaction. I, I appreciate it. Uh, let me say this, friends. I Just like God has helped me to get physically healthy, and I love to encourage you to get healthy. Another reminder, visit vitaminmission.com, vitaminmission.com. There's a special code you can use. These are some of the finest health supplements on the planet. You get a special discount and the donations made to our ministry. So everyone is blessed. But just as, as I'm thriving by God's grace physically, not boasting about tomorrow, but thriving by his grace physically, and want to see you thriving as well, all the more do I want to see you thriving healthy. I, I, I yearn to see the body of Messiah healthy, growing, getting stronger, shining light more. Let's lean into that. What could God do through you or through me? Another program powered by the Truth Network.